is the Indigify Native Artist Series. I'm your host, Chandra Iklugan Safran. Today, I talk with Leon Misak Kinivek. Leon operates the largest ivory carving studio in Dagaikuk, known today as Anchorage, at the Alaska Art Alliance. Leon's studio is a much needed art space in the urban center of Anchorage, home to indigenous people from all over the state. Under Leon's leadership, the studio offers a place of cultural belonging and camaraderie while meeting the unique needs of the art form. No one explanation for this place. You know, we got guys that are master carvers, we got guys coming out of prison, we got guys that have dealt with homelessness, addiction, all mixed in. Leon shared how his upbringing in Tikarak, the North Slope Inupak community of Point Hope, is at the core of his work today. It was the whole community back then. It wasn't just uncles, aunties, or parents. It was, it was the whole community. But that his cultural identity was for a time buried under a past that required a balance of being both tough and gentle with himself. So part of it goes back to redemption for myself. I'm not a, I don't consider myself a bad person. What I did was horrible. We also hear from Jerome Saklamana, King Island Anupak, a talented carver and regular at the Alaska Art Alliance, who knows the rare value of a well-equipped, organized studio that is dedicated specifically to the needs of ivory carvers. It's the nature of carving. This is the Indigify Native Artist Series. I'm Chandra Klugan-Safran, and today I talk with Leon Misak-Kinivert. This conversation has been edited for clarity and length. Our theme music is Kaumayuapik by Inuk artist Reet. So my name is Leon Misak-Kinovac from Point Hope, Alaska. I was born in Kotzebue and raised in Point Hope and then transplanted here to Anchorage. I think you'd have to go back to com- uh, the communities before Western society. Each community, whether it was Alaska, Canada, Greenland, Russia, there was always a place where a men's house or a place where men can commune. It was the whole community back then. It wasn't just uncles, aunties, or parents. It it was the whole community. Here at this shop, we try to create that environment, so to speak, as a place where the guys can come and get away from everything and carve and work with each other, take care of the place, kind of a men's house. We've got some guys that are very, very uh, creative. They're master carvers. And then we have a few younger guys, and they're already, you know, very good at carving. Good artists, great carvers. There's no one explanation for this place, and I try not to 
make one explanation or one, you know, we got guys that are master carvers. We got guys coming out of prison. We got guys that have dealt with homelessness, addiction, whatever, all mixed in. And for somebody to categorize as one thing is, is, you know, it's a men's house. But I think that it's important to have that just as it's important to have school. These were institutions that were there for a reason. I don't know if you'd call them institutions, but those were set in place to help teach and, and feel belong, a sense of belonging and, and finding out who's who in the community. Oh, look at this kid, man. He's going to be a leader. He's a good hunter, or he's, or he's not really that, but he's a good artist. Or, man, this guy's a shaman. You know, they thought, you know, it was a, a way to be able to look at all that. To learn who each other are. Mm-hmm. And just to belong and, and take care of mm-hmm. and pass down the, the traditions, the culture. We don't do much um, else here besides carve. You come here at 11 a.m. getting ready to carve. You come here at 9 p.m. They're fishing, finishing up carving. You know, when I leave here, I'm I'm at home with my kids, and then I go carve in my shop. It's a carving society, pretty much. I mean, that's what it is. One of the studio's regulars, Jerome Saclamana, King Island Anupak shared a little bit about his art and his experience with Ivory Studios in Anchorage. I'm going to make and put a small ulu over here in the middle. I make an ivory ulu. And once it's polished up, boy, it really looks nice. And, uh, uh, yeah, but I'm really enjoying uh, reintroducing a ulu on my carving. There's 20, 20 of us, I believe. And then we have guys that come in from the village or guys that need to use the space daily. Um, and then we, we work with other artists that have their own shops. Um, we buy material from hunters. Leon describes his family home in the Anupak village of Tikega, or Point Hope, in Alaska's Arctic, and the experience common to many of us of moving around Alaska. At the age of two, my mom was, my biological mom was dealing with uh, things and she couldn't take care of me. And my grandma told her to take me to Point Hope to my adopted parents. And they cared for me. That community, Point Hope, took me in. They didn't see no little half-breed from Kotzebue. My Aka lived in Point Hope when she was younger and she has ties to Point Hope. So, she, you know, she knew that that's where I belong being raised by good people, good community. A blessing to be able to grow up in Point Hope, my uncles and aunties and my grandparents, and the rest of the community. It's a whaling community, very strong people. I was in your back back then without saying anything. 
you know, it was it was kind of intimidating. They were very strong people. There was no fooling our people. You couldn't you couldn't sit there and uh, BS anybody. And when you tried to, it didn't you know it didn't work. Our people were very intuitive, very understanding of the present. You know, you had to be to survive up there. And still today in Point Hope, they hunt whale. Good, good uh, generation of whalers. Very uh, family oriented. You know, we had dinner at my auntie's or my oppa's or, or I'd be at my mom's parents, my other oppa and aka. The, the old and you back away, you know, was, you know, pretty much everybody mattered. And uh, you had to hold your, your end of the line to be able to survive. I was happy just to be able to see a glimpse of that as a kid in the 70s. I, it was at my uh, Oppa Jacob's house, my Uncle Jacob. I hung out with him a lot. He uh, would carve soapstone. He was just a fun guy, you know. We were always up to something when we were around him. I think the first time I really got excited about it was he, I think he gifted my mom and dad a kayak, a soapstone kayaker. It had a little man, and, and it was in my mom's house, and I'd try to play it, and, you know, and I knew that my, they would tell me my Uncle Jacob made that. I'd see some of the older men outside during the summer working on stuff, carving, making masks wintertime in their homes but you would try to be you know as a kid I was trying to not to be too noticeable watching you know you don't want to interrupt or or disrespect anybody you know they were a different breed and then to sit there and, and as a young boy and watch my appa my uncle all doing something working or carving you know it's instilled in you Whalebone, ivory, baleen, soapstone, uh, sea cow, wood, all kinds of wood. Um, I can do masks, jewelry, uh, sculptures, uh, scrimshaw, etching, uh, prints. Uh, the only thing I haven't tried yet is baleen basket making. That's like I have to give up everything else in order to undertake that so I'm I'm waiting until I have more time and maybe sit down with somebody who's a basket maker already and kind of go from there but yeah that's going to be like that's on my bucket list as an artist is to become a basket maker for a few years and maybe just to have baskets at the house or gift or if I'm good enough sell but we'll see even among the Anupak values of Point Hope Leon describes that the community experienced the harms of colonization and how that intergenerational trauma shaped his behaviors as a younger person. You know, alcohol, addiction, just like anywhere else. And I got caught up in that as I got older. Uh, still trying to hunt, helping my dad with his whaling crew, whaling with my uncle Calvin, my uncle Jacob. Just trying to hold on to, you know, a little bit of that throughout the chaos, an illusion of dependency, weakness, um, pain, victim, the victim stance. 
that that comfort, you know, in in being a victim or or an, an addict, our minds tend to kind of settle in to that, especially when there's other people around you settling into that, and you feel okay with that because everybody else feels okay with. It. And I never knew how much I stored in my mind until I ended up in prison and I sobered up. When you sober up, you start to feel everything, all the pain, all the hurt, all the memories, everything comes back. And you have to deal with how do you deal with that? So part of it goes back to redemption for myself. I was out here drugging, drinking. Somebody died down the road because of me. In his younger years, Leon was involved in a robbery that resulted in a person's death. I'm not a, I don't consider myself a bad person. What I did was horrible. When I became incarcerated, that's what I latched back onto was those memories as a child, and that's what really got me through the first part of my incarceration. Started doing the artwork, uh, getting into the hobby craft, uh, getting involved with Native culture, trying to make it more beneficial for the Natives that were incarcerated. And when I sobered up, I couldn't treat people who are addicted like that because I was that person. So I have an understanding of both sides, and I try to treat people equal. Some of the smartest people I've met were incarcerated. Some of the most caring people I've met have been on the streets. When the guys are here, I try to instill in them that they need to treat everybody in the shop equal. You know, I'm not the boss. I'm engulfed in Ground Zero, Fourth Avenue. You know, there's a lot of dynamics to this. You got the prison down the road. You got the homeless shelter and the the food lines down the road. Um, The cop shop down the road. Got the bars all strung out. um, Liquor stores, dealers, all in this area. Um, So I think a subconsciously a part of that I ended up back here doing this work to try to make things right with myself in the hopes that it doesn't happen to somebody else. The location of the studio in downtown Anchorage helps create access to a space specifically for carvers. The carving part was is a way to make a living and share the culture and and stay tied to the culture. For me, it's also therapy. If I'm having any kind of negative thoughts or a bad day or somebody's trying to rain on my parade, so to speak, I I go into the shop and I carve. Or I sit at the table and I scrimshaw. When I first got the place, I tried to create these rules. and, And there's still rules, but I tried to do it from my point of view, my vantage point, and that was totally not happening. You know, I had to, when there's conflict, I have to see the other side of the coin. What You know, um, there's guys that I've pushed away four or five times for a moment and then allowed them to come back. I get mad for five minutes and then I start analyzing the situation and and seeing where I was at fault and what, you know, is there a way to work through this, especially the younger carvers. Leon describes an interesting take 
on occupying a leadership role. I'm from planet Earth, but I'm an American. I'm an American, but I'm from Alaska. I'm from Alaska, but I'm Alaska Native. I'm Alaska Native, but I'm in your back. I'm in your back, but I'm in your back from Point Hope. Yeah, I'm from Point Hope, but I'm a Kinovac. Yeah, I'm a Kinovac, but I'm Leo Kinovac's son. Yeah, I'm Leo Kinovac's son, but I'm Leon. Yeah, there's been a number of carvers who's uh, rented, I mean, not as I mean, not as large of a place as this, but it, it, it's a good size, you know. It'll fit usually from four to six people, you know. And uh, I've experienced, oh, gee, you know, in this town, I don't know, three, four, five of them. And uh, it all didn't work out, you know, but uh, Leon has the most patience of all the, and the most understanding of all. I don't do what I think I can't do. I, I do enough for my family, myself, and then I say, okay, what can I do here? Yeah, I, I had to latch on to my childhood and remember what I was being taught. You know, I'm, I'm a student. I, I, uh, I try to uh, learn, not in the form of copying, but, but in the form of uh, how can I do things better? You know, that's where I see a lot of guys when they come out of prison or when they're homeless. Yeah, there's a nine-to-five job. When a guy comes out of incarceration or is homeless and trying to get back on his feet, um, he should be able to sign up for a six-month lease to a place. It's very hard to find a carving space here in Anchorage uh, simply for the fact that, you know, most our office spaces and most don't want i mean it's understandable you know they dust the noise yeah and then the warehouses you know gee i mean you know where you could set up a place like this i mean they i i wouldn't even begin to guess how much a month they want we're so easy to uh make things too simple. There's a food line over there to get food. There's a hotel that's been turned into a shelter right across the street for somebody to stay. And someone who I spoke with in the shop here yesterday yeah. mentioned his nine to five job. Mm -hmm. But this studio, this place is where he expressed a sense of belonging. Yeah. So for his recovery, it seemed critical. I think we have to adopt that mindset again not adapt to that it's been there before we've been there before we've taken care of everybody in the community when they couldn't take care of themselves or we taught those that are were capable you know we're not teaching anymore we're, we're enabling and i'm hoping that this men's house is a form of not enabling but you know providing a space for guys to come in work learn latch on to their cultures and who they are and uh, just have a good place to be able to come and, and interact and, you know, share their, their ideas as far as art goes, share the culture. Uh, in other words, I've been uh, evicted out of every shop that I've 
carved here in Anchorage except Leo. Yeah. I mean, for too much, <laughs> too much dust, you know, and too much odor. And uh, I try to explain uh, it's, it's the nature of carving. It's the structure. You will have dust and odor. Yeah. Here and beyond when we were incarcerated, we, we created the environment for the Alaska Native men to try to be who we are supposed to be, providers, protectors, you know, and you have to provide for your families. Um, what a man's supposed to do. You know, we try to create the environment for guys to be able to provide Another part of it is is helping to advance the market. Um, sometimes there is nowhere to sell. And a lot of times in the past, the guys would sell on 4th Avenue and they would be left out in the cold. Their piece would be in a shop. But you have these people that open up shops that don't understand the value and the, and the hardships that go into the material, the carving, um, so I could go into a gallery on, on a street in Alaska and ask $200 for a piece. And sometimes they might offer me $80. And then you go back a couple weeks later and that piece is marked up to $1,200. Sometimes when a customer asks, so who's the artist? Oh, it's an Alaska native piece from this area. They don't take the time to get to know the artist or, or do a little bio of the artist. And that's where we, we kind of lack, too. Is, but I, I, I know the guys here. But anytime I buy a piece from an artist that's not from here, I try to, where are you from? What's your name? And try to instill it in my mind or when I, when I saw the piece. So. Yeah, the market is... Uh, overwhelming sometimes but then you go to shows like afn uh local shows like the christmas bazaars and it's good to see the locals really interacting with the artists interested in ivory i went to santa fe this last summer um, entered my pieces into santa fe indian market and did very well um it was a good vibe um, i really liked the way the collectors respected the artists um, and held them to such a high. I mean, I, I've watched two collectors, you know, argue over a piece. It's, I was like, wow. You know, to see that level of uh, interest, especially the ivory, it's so hard to get. You know, I know the walrus, they're adapting and, you know, with the lack of ice and thing for me to understand why Somebody would open up a business and sometimes come in from the lower 48 and purchase, you know, this product that's the art form is thousands of years old. The product is very hard to get. You know, the hunters, they go out there, they hunt, they feed their families and they take the material, they sell the material or give it to other family members or carve it themselves. In the Alaska Native homes, Things are being done to make a living, to share the culture, 
provide for the family through hunting. So a lot of that is learned and a lot of that is expressed through art. When you, you know, uh, in my area, when you, when you go into a home, you know, you have the hunter, the wife who takes care of all the, the food, the children, the clothing. Um, the hunter goes out in the morning, walks out onto the ice, comes back towards the evening, dragging a seal. Um, and this was, you know, not that long ago, not even 100, not even 70, 60 years ago, that this was a daily thing in Point Hope for me to carve a piece, whether it's a seal hunter dragging a seal or a seal hunter harpooning a seal. That's, you know, an expression of, and, and gratitude towards my people for being able to sustain life in, in a cold, cold place. And for me to be sitting here talking to you today is because of them. Raw materials, I try to use it all. When it comes to ivory carving, I've done wood carving, I've done soapstone. But when you start carving ivory and you start peeling away everything that goes into it from the hunting to the, you know, it's like, and it's a it's been done for thousands of years in one form or fashion. If you know anything about Alaska, these walrus were caught to feed families, and we take the byproduct, which is the ivory, the bone, the skin, and we create artwork or tools. You expressed some hopefulness that young men will also, in the future, be uh, taking leadership roles in areas like this. And when I came in here yesterday. Right after I walked in, a young boy looked like maybe he was 10 years old, just trotted on in, looking very comfortable. His uh, mom and I think his dad carve here when they're in town. So they become a part of you know what we do here in one form or fashion. You know, they know they can come in the back, use the bathroom, or you know, go to say hi to everybody. Yeah, this is a great place. We're hoping that we can get a younger generation in here. And I'm hoping there's a, that, that person that can do that and say, hey, I got it. I've never seen or uh, experienced uh, how much he helps people. Yeah. I always say that once one person is able to provide for himself, then he can create the environment for other people to start doing the same. And then those people that start providing for themselves should be able to create an environment for other people to start doing the same. I don't have the words to express how grateful I am. I've got a five-year-old, and he was named after my dad. My dad died at AMC, and he was named after my dad. But uh, after my dad died, about four months later, um, my sister called and said, "Hey, such and such had a baby, but she wants to adopt him out." So we went over. We adopted him. To this day, when I say "I love you, son," he says, "I love you, son." And it, you know, in the Inupiaq culture, when you name somebody after somebody, 
dazu. You see him as, so. I know he's going to have to go through things in order to to be able to really become strong. I mean, we might have passed something down to the next generation, but everything I own now, I'm borrowing from my son and his siblings. That's all there. I think we're heading in the right direction. Each generation has to pick up the ball and, and make things better. Not for themselves, but for the next generation. For themselves, but for the next generation. You know, and I think that's where this place is, is trying to head. We need to be able to express ourselves as Alaska Natives, and this is a form of doing that, the art. So we need to be able to create the environment for the next generation to do that. I'd like to say a big thanks to Leon Misak-Knivak and Jerome Saklamana for sharing their stories with us. And to you, the listeners, for spending time with us. I'm Chandra Ikugan-Safrin, and I've been your host for this episode of the Indigified Native Artists series. This series is a program of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Our theme music is Kalma Yopek by Inuk artist Reet. Translation of Dagaikak, the original name for Anchorage, is thanks to Aaron Leggett at the Anchorage Museum. Archival audio of the Tikigak Dance Group is thanks to executive producer Alexis Salee. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by Chandra Rugan-Safran, with thanks to Nola Moses at Native Voice One, KTOO Public Media, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and executive producer Alexis Salee. This project is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts, on the web at arts.gov, the Siri Foundation, supporting Alaska Native education, culture, and heritage since 1982, GCI, and Cook Inlet Tribal Council.
both sitting here wearing ivory. Yeah. You know, uh, I, <laughs> like I I'm keep looking one at the, your bracelet. I'm probably one of the only guys that wears a bracelet. Oh, and, uh, man, and I, it's I, such I, a rad one, y'all. Um, <laughs> my my uncle, one of my uncles made that. 